your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. A major tough break for the New York Knicks. This is EJ Stewart joined by Tommy Beer. You are listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast hosted by Odyssey and WFAN. And podcast you can get wherever you get your podcast, including the free Odyssey app, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Make sure you hit the auto download feature and subscribe button so you can get these podcast episodes. We drop three times a week. This is the third episode this week. Tommy and I wish we were starting a little better than we would be today, but Mitchell Robinson will be out at least three weeks with a fractured thumb that he just had surgery on. So we'll talk plenty about that. We got a Hawks, uh, Hawks game coming up this this evening, so. A lot to talk about, not necessarily great news to start the show. Yeah, uh, the um, as we talked about on Thursday's pod, it's it's hard to overstate Mitchell Robinson's importance. And um, we're going to find out just uh, precisely exactly how important he is over the next uh, three weeks, at least three weeks, it sounds like. Um, to be honest, it, I would be surprised if he comes back before the All-Star break. Um, at the three-week mark, um, the, the All-Star break's a, a month from now. The three-week mark is four games prior to the All-Star break. So I assume that they'll err on the side of caution and give them that extra week of rest. But we shall see, I suppose. Yeah, you're talking about missing at least 10 or so games with this injury. So uh, really bad news for the Knicks. We'll also wrap this show on a little bit of a positive note and bring a, in a, a new segment we haven't done yet. We'll do it this week in Knicks history. A lot happened this week in this Knicks history. So we want to recap you guys on that as well. It should be fun to have a discussion about some of the past uh, glory for the New York Knicks franchise. You know, Tommy and I love the history of this organization. So I think that should be a fun discussion towards the end of the show. But let's begin with this Mitchell Robinson injury. So the Knicks say Mitchell Robinson had successful surgery to repair a fractured thumb suffered in Wednesday's loss to the Wizards. Robinson will be reevaluated in three weeks and remain on the shelf until at least then. Robinson is in the first year of a four-year, $60 million deal. He's first in the team in blocks, second in rebound. So a, a, a major loss here. Uh, Tommy, just off the off the jump, how do the Knicks make up for this Mitchell Robinson loss? They got to hope that the Isaiah Hartenstein they signed shows up and not and not the Hartenstein that's, that's basically been a, net ne- a significant net negative for the Knicks over the past month or so. Um, you know, they, they signed Hardenstein as, uh, you know, what they felt would be a important contributor um, and a key cog in the rotation. Um, you know, it's going into the season, there wasn't it wasn't even sure that Mitch Robb would be the starter. You know, there was there was talk that maybe Hardenstein could play yeah. starters minutes or, you know, and and most more than likely split, you know, the 48 minutes, 24, 24 um, on the plus side of things. Jericho Sims exceeded expectations. We kind of saw that in training camp um, in summer league when he, when he played really well, um, played well in the preseason, carried that forward going into the regular season and, and has stepped up. Um, so he can be relied upon minutes. Hartenstein hasn't lived up to expectations. So, um, and to me, the key going forward, and, and this is kind of um, 
something that uh, I think makes a lot of sense for the Knicks is for them to really experiment with the Obi Randall combination at yeah. four or five, play some Randall at five. Um, you know, I was just uh, I'm, I'm in the process of writing about it this morning. Um, the Knicks really have failed to have failed Obi Toppin. Um, it's it hasn't been a, a good maximum. You know, they haven't maximized his skill set, his talents. Um, arguably the most athletic player on the team. Um, reigning slam dunk champion. They stick him in the corner. Um, looking at the numbers on the season, he's been involved as the role man in the pick and roll a total of 10 times this entire season. It's January 20th. Um, uh, I think uh, I think it's 18 trans. Um, uh, you know, so he's you know his his usage rate is low. Um, less than 60 uh, tra uh, transition fast break opportunities. These are the things that you want to you know really get him out and running. Um, it's just it's been a terrible situation for for Obi playing behind Randall for Tibbs, who doesn't you know who's not, who's not a big proponent of resting his stars, um, and just the way that he's been utilized, they haven't maxed it out. Uh, um, trade deadlines three weeks away. This is an opportunity for the you know they part ways because it, it right now this is trending like they're they're headed towards a divorce. This may be one last opportunity before they sell low on a player that's talented and and and, and is coveted league wide to give him an opportunity to kind of show what he can do. Um, just all the things have kind of fallen into place. Mitch Rob being out. Um, you know, the Hartenstein struggling, the Knicks offense kind of stagnating a little bit. This is an opportunity to inject some energy and some athleticism into and some pace into into the Knicks offense. And I think Obi's the guy to do it. Um, and I hope that they uh, that they incorporate that going forward. Yeah. And, and to me, it, it becomes almost less about even just trying something that may or may not work with Obi. It almost becomes more of a um self-preservation for the Knicks to play OB more minutes because of how bad Hardenstein has been. Like the notion of playing Hardenstein 25, 30 minutes at this point is scary to me with how he is playing. Now, like we talked about in the previous episode, maybe that's what he needs. Like maybe he just needs right. more time and maybe he needs to not have necessarily have to be looking over his shoulder knowing he's going to come out soon because of how poorly he's playing. But in a game or two, if you see that he's still giving you essentially no production with the extended minutes, then you have no choice but to play Obi Top in more minutes. Because we know Jericho Sims, as good as he's played, he's not necessarily a guy you want to play 25, 30 minutes either. So I think for the sake of just self-preservation, even forget about, you know, whether or not you're going to lose him or, or not get the most out of him. Like, they have to play the best players they have on the team. Isaiah Hartenstein playing 30 minutes is just not conducive to that. So they're going to have to give Obi Top more opportunities. And I kind of hope that maybe this is kind of Obi's moment that we saw from Quentin Grimes earlier this season when Quentin Grimes got started at more time after coming off an injury and he kind of had to work himself into shape. And he started playing extremely well. Like maybe this is the opportunity Obi needs. Like maybe um, he came back from this uh, recent leg injury. He's kind of been playing very spot minutes, not necessarily getting involved in the offense, you know, the only hope the really Knicks have, I think, is, is that he kind of plays towards the level he was playing earlier this season. And we do see Tibbs work with that four or five man lineup of Toppin and Randall. The Knicks are not going to be great defensively with that lineup. The Knicks aren't going to rebound that well with that lineup. But the Knicks can outrun people and they can outscore people with that lineup. So I'm hoping that Tibbs and the team understands that that has to be orchestrated in this uh, equation.
Yeah, 69 minutes, uh, Toppin and Randall played together. Um, it's been basically a net neutral. Um, I think it's like minus 0.8 net rating. Um, so not great one way or the other. But they're actually better defensively than I thought they'd be. I think it's around a 113 defensive rating um, in that two-man lineup. Um, so, yes, it, it's definitely worth worth exploring, at least, at the minimum. Um, uh, and, and two other things. Hartenstein. Um, maybe as you said, getting shifted into the starting lineup, you know, maybe, you know, kind of jumpstart what, plus the fact that he's going to be playing alongside, um, uh, Barrett Randall and, and, and a, and a great point guard in Brunson. So that yeah. may also trigger, you know, kind of, um, and, but, but two things, um, uh, one with Hardenstein, if he's on the floor, Put him in situations to both. This goes for both Toppin and 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 Hardenstein. If they're on the floor, put them in situations to succeed, and that means you do, having Hardenstein do the things that he does well, facilitating from the top of the key. You know, having him catch the ball at the nail and 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 feed you know shooters on the outside. Have guys cutting, um, and same with Toppin. It's not enough just to play him increased minutes. It's putting him in position to succeed. That means having him as as the as the role man in a pick and roll. Um, having him take the top off the defense by throwing him lobs, increasing the transition. And Hardenstein is a good outlet passer. Increasing yeah. the pace when he's on the when 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 uh, uh, especially when Obi's on the floor and IQ when he's on the floor with IQ. Have those guys get out and run, get some easy baskets. Um, and 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 again, the other benefit to to playing Obi more is reducing uh, Randall's minutes. One of only two players in the NBA averaging over thirty nine minutes per game over the last six weeks. Um, we've talked about that before. Um, that that serves the dual benefit of not only increasing Obi's opportunities, um, but giving Randall some some much needed rest in games, um, so he's not worn out by the fourth quarter. And I don't know if you remember the game against the Warriors when Knicks had this massive blowout at the Garden. And in the second half and most of the fourth quarter, a lot of the bench guys were playing and Hardenstein was playing. And essentially, we saw like Clipper Hardenstein there for the first time all season. They were doing a lot of backdoor cutting. They were doing a lot of movement with him in the high post, finding guys open for layup, open for jump shots. He was hitting guys out on the break in transition with these outlet passes. And, you know, I, I tweeted watching that game saying it looks like the Knicks are maybe workshopping uh, some Hardenstein sets that they haven't run all year. Like, or I don't know if that was just the bench guys is saying, well, Tibbs doesn't really care. He's probably sleep over there because we're blowing the team out. Let's just do whatever we want. But, like, I, I hope maybe that somehow they could, like, tap into that a little bit. I think it also would help. Honestly, it would help Randall and Brunson as well because those guys, the way they get their offense is extremely taxing. It's not even just the minutes that they play. They play in a very intense 39, 40 minutes. So if they could get a couple easy baskets, if they could get a couple easy looks from Hartenstein making nice passes and not have to always have to beat their guy one-on-one or beat their guy one-on-two sometimes, you know, facing uh, help defense, that could that could also help in terms of their, uh, their energy level. I think it helped the cohesion of the team. And I think you could see a more – balanced offensive attack as opposed to it being so heavily predicated on Brunson creating everything. And that's something we've talked about. It's like, yeah. listen, if to, if the Knicks were starting tonight was the first game of a seven games, you know, best of seven series with the Hawks, then, you know, listen, get, get uh, Brunson the ball, get Randall the ball, run, you know, do things that, that, that put the ball in, in the hands of your best players, your most efficient offensive players. And we'll figure the rest out in the off season or what, you know, we'll, we can, we can, 
you know, just basically go all out for the next two weeks and try to make a playoff run, et cetera. But you still have three months before the playoffs even start. So you got to find ways. And as you mentioned, it's not just the, the minutes, it's the, it's the, the pressure and the, and the weight of the offense that those two guys carry on their shoulders. Um, in addition to the minutes played, you know, that that's what makes it so tough and why it's so important to find other ways to put points on the board. Any chance the Knicks explore the trade market here uh, with this Mitchell Robinson injury? I know Ian Bagley last night mentioned Serge Ibaka's name as someone that maybe the Knicks would explore with Mitchell Robinson out. Uh, it's such a tough, bad, it's a bad situation to be in because, you know, the Knicks are necess- aren't necessarily a team that was looking for a big man when it came to the trade market. You're probably looking for a wing and that's why the names we've heard mostly have been guys who are either guards or wings uh, for the bench. Does this change things for the Knicks here? Do you think maybe they look and say, hey, look, we need to get another big in here because um, uh, we can't play this a long amount of time with Harden signed starting? For me, it does not. Again, Obi's averaging 10 minutes a night since his returning. Let's give him 20 minutes a night before we add another big, you know, a reclamation project. You know, let, let's see what we have. Let's see if this can work. If, you know, come February, if maybe Hardenstein turns an ankle or Sims is dinged up, you have two solid centers. That's the benefit of having three rotational big men. Um, you have to, you're down to two now. It's not ideal, but, you know, that's that's one of the benefits of, of having three players you feel confident in playing. Um, again, let's give Obi an opportunity to earn more minutes. If around the deadline three weeks from now, Mitch isn't making progress, he has a setback, or Hardenstein's really struggling, or Sims can't handle the minutes, then I'll explore the trade market. But even then, as we know, there will be players that shake loose after the trade deadline, after that yeah. March 1st buyout date. The Nets added Andre Drummond last season. Um, there's always a bit, you know, JaVale McGee has floated around. The, the You know, he'll be, maybe he'll be one of those guys that the Mavs will, you know, will part ways with. But um Abaka's missed games in Toronto for personal reasons hasn't been a factor. You know, would he, could he shake loose? You know, there, there's it, there always seems Demarcus Cousins is still in the market. Do I want him anywhere near New York? No, but it's just that type of players that um, that you could potentially pick up for free without uh, without sacrificing uh, a young player or or draft asset. Um, if there's a guy that that fits the you know that you're looking to get rid of Cam Reddish anyway, and another team's looking to get rid of a young big, um, I'll listen to it. You know, certainly explore all opportunities but um i'd much rather use my assets what even if it's just a second round pick even if it's just cam reddish um for for another wing because i think that's more of a priority um than than adding another big to the to the situation because then if you trade for a big you feel pressure to play him that decreases the chance of, of ob getting extended minutes um which i think is important and again not just for the short term next two weeks can we survive without mitch but the big picture, you're trying to, you know, again, the Knicks aren't going to win a championship this season. Let's find out what we have in top and before we part ways, before we decide whether we want to offer an extension uh, this offseason, let's figure out what we have. Yeah, it's funny when uh, when Ian Bailey of SNY mentioned Serge Ibaka, I like low-key forgot he was in the league. Like he's, right. he's right. had these issues where he hasn't played for personal reasons, and I hope that everything's fine with him. But uh, he's only played 16 games, I believe, with the Bucks this season. He's played very limited minutes. So um, I don't know what his availability is at this point. I mean, if you get him for nothing, I, I say, hey, why not? You know, because I, I, at this point, I think he he still may be an upgrade over Hardenstein. But, yeah, I think for now you'll see Nick try to hold, hold serve here. 
And it's really going to be, I really think they're going to give Harden time a real shot here. Like my guess is we won't see this four or five Randall OB lineup as much as we would want. My guess is that Tim's going to say, look, we brought in Harden time to be a true, like you said, one a essentially at center, not just yeah. a backup, right? Like, this is what he's paid to do. Like we're going to get him out there and we're going to let him play. And Again, again, maybe this could be the spark he needs. Like, I'm not even like necessarily taking that and saying that's no way. There's no way that's going to happen. But it's just not not nothing that nothing in in terms of how he's played has inspired any confidence that we will see a major turnaround if you do see his minutes spike. And if Obi is still playing 10 to 15 minutes a game, he hasn't been getting that. He's been getting like eight minutes to win these games. Like if that is still what we're looking at. Knicks could be in for a rush stretch. This this next schedule that's coming up is brutal, and um, this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting. This is gonna be interesting to say the least. The last thing, real quick on on this uh, injury for Mitchell Robinson. I mean, we've had injuries with him really throughout his career, outside of maybe a couple of like on the court things when it comes to maybe fouls or free throws. Like it's it's the one thing that people will look at and maybe question Mitchell Robinson's long term value because of the injury risk. Like how you feel now with Mitchell Robinson out another essentially month of a season with an injury? Do, are you, is there any concern that this is going to be just something we're going to deal with with, with, with Mitch as a Nick? Yeah, no, I think it's, I think you almost bake it into the, the, the reason um, that some people questioned the, the extension, the $60 million extension was because of his health concerns in the past. He's just one of those guys where I, I, you have to assume essentially when you, when you ink him to a, to a, to a four term four year deal, He's going to miss 25 games a season. You know, he's going to miss 15 games. If you get 70 games out of him, that's a that's a great. You know, you you, you count your lucky stars. Yeah. Because, you know, he's a, listen. Seven footers in general tend to be more injury prone than, than than smaller players. And Mitch is, you know, he jumps all over the floor. You know, he he, he gets in the air to, to challenge shots. He, he you know he obviously dunks a lot. And he's a high flying big man. He's not a you know an Al Horford guy who's going to stay in the ground and defensive positioning, etc. Um, so he's going to have leg injuries and ankle injuries. And he's now this is his second hand. You know, he's he's had some hand injuries. Um, so it, it, to me, it doesn't. It, it, you know, I think you kind of accept that going into the season um, and accept that for his career. You just kind of hope you have him healthy for most of the season. And if and when you make the playoffs, that, that he's healthy. Um, but, you know, he stayed in good shape. Um, you know, it's not one of those things where it's, a, you know, an injury because he's out of shape, but he's just, a, you know, tends to be a, a more fragile guy. Part of that's part of his playing style. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes forward. But not nah, in, in general, I, I don't think this has any major impact on the way I view Robinson or his future. Yeah, I mean, Mitch, like you said, he's one of those guys. He's going to throw his body around. I think you're going to have to kind of pencil in that he's going to miss about 15, 20 games in a season. And you just live with the fact that when he's out there, he could be an impactful. Um, the most games he's played was last year, 72. Um, besides that, he had, you know, 31 in the shortened season, 61 in the second year, 66 his first year. And he's going to miss a considerable amount of time this year. So and that was the why – that was why bringing in – Harden time was important for them. Like their hope that there was some uh some relief and some security and that if Mitch or when Mitch went down, you did have a starting quality center that could come in and play. So I think and, it kind of is what it is with Mitchell Robinson. I think that's in, in some ways to kind of look at him the same way the Celtics look at, you know, Robert Williams, a uh, time lord. You know, he, he's a guy that because of his brand of basketball, he's just gonna miss games. You hope that you keep him as healthy as you can, and you know that when he's out there, he's an immense impact. I think Mitchell Robinson essentially is that kind of player. So Nick's going to just have to live 
with that and just hope that you don't have some crazy catastrophic injury he seems to have avoided like he, he we haven't seen something where you're like oh he's gonna have this problem for a long time like maybe the broken foot was the one where you thought oh this is a little concerning where he couldn't come back in 2021 but outside of that it seems to be a lot more free things um he also is a guy that like every time he hits the floor like i like hold my breath because he always looks like he's in so much pain as he's playing through whatever he's go whatever he's going through so uh so you know he hasn't he hasn't had the, the big one yet. He hasn't had the massive injury that he makes it okay. Maybe this contract is gonna be a problem. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, this game again was kind of a freak thing. He got the ball slapped out of his hand and you know he carried his thumb. And somehow it looked like I don't know if you saw the video, like it looks seem like he played through that injury for a good couple of minutes before he went out. Like, so uh, I guess credit to his toughness, but yeah, it's unfortunate break for the Knicks. We'll see how they adjust, but um, I, I would, I would, I would, I would say it hurt his free throw shooting, but it, it can't get any worse. Like, Mitch, please put some air under the ball, like you know, to like just. I, 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 I remain amazed. It's, it's, it's one of my bugaboos watching NBA basketball is how these these guys, you know, with the, with all the coaching and and shooting coaches in the world, like, you know, I'm, I'm teaching my daughter now. She just started her first, you know, her first. Um, clinic uh she's she's eight years old and just you know i, I just, just it's some of the fundamental stuff like put some space in between you know the, the ball and the, the the pads of your your hand and yeah just did the, the, the how flat his shot is four no. five years in the nba is it remains amazing but um so that's uh neither here nor there I suppose. <laughs> tommy aka the shooting coach uh, <laughs> on the on the uh orange and blue buzz podcast uh giving me some advice on the free throw shooting yeah, it is weird like um you know he shoots a flat line drive and i've never seen him shoot otherwise or shoot a different kind of shot i don't know who has decided that that's the best way for him to be a 50 percent free throw shooter like i you would think they'd put more air in the ball he couldn't be much worse but right, right, yeah right. that's how he's that's how he shot free throws pretty much since he's got here so uh wishing mitch the best of luck uh great that the surgery seemed to go well and and hopefully he's not on the shelf too long because Knicks will certainly need him but let's uh, shift gears to Friday night. So the Knicks are in the Dirty South to take on the Atlanta Hawks. Knicks and the Hawks split two games at Madison Square Garden earlier this season. The last game these two teams played was a little, was a little weird because Jonte Murray uh, went out. I think, they had, uh, I think John, John Collins didn't play that game either. So the Knicks just throttled the Hawks in that second game. The Knicks in the first game had a big lead that they blew in the first half, and the Hawks ended up blowing them out in that game. That was with everybody healthy. This will be the third of four matchups this season. Next two will be in Atlanta, starting with Friday. Atlanta is hot. They've won four straight. They've won five out of six. But Trey Young and Bogdan Bogdanovich right now listed as questionable for uh, for Friday's game. That was as of Thursday. So we'll see what those guys' the situation is. Young's been dealing with the sore ankle for uh, about a month now, it feels like. Uh, Bogdanovich has been dealing with a knee, which is something he's also been dealing with. So those injuries seem to be more kind of day-to-day situations. And uh, if they feel great, they play. Maybe if they don't, they don't. But I would anticipate they probably play given they played, I believe, in the last game. Definitely Trey Young played in the last game. Uh, just we talked a lot about Mitch, and maybe we'll end the Mitch conversation here. How does Mitchell Robinson loss hurt, particularly in this matchup with the Hawks? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Capella's, you know, going to look to run free. Um, A couple quick things on the Hawks. Yes, um, so Young tweaked his ankle the first quarter in the win over the Mavericks on Wednesday. Had to uh, exit the game, actually, but came back in and played his full complement of minutes, finished with 18 points, 12 assists. Um, Interestingly, Young is kind of – 
throttled back his field goal attempts um, and, and kind of looked to distribute more, not shooting as many threes as well of late. Um, maybe that's kind of a, a concession to Coach McMillan. And there's been some some belly aching um, behind the scenes in Atlanta, um, you know, DeJounte Murray, et cetera. So maybe this is his way of kind of, you know, trying to be a leader and trying to get everyone involved. Um, that's one thing I'll keep an eye on. Um, uh, Bogey also played over 30 minutes last two games for, for the Hawks. But, um, you know, as, as EJ mentioned, he's dealing with a bit of a knee injury. So um, we're recording this Friday morning, obviously immensely important, um, but I would expect definitely young to play. Um, we'll, we'll see if Bogey maybe sits out um, for Atlanta. Um, but yeah. And, and then just looking at the schedule, Things can get a little scary here for the Knicks. Like if, if if we're looking at the big picture, obviously they're come they're they're riding a two game losing streak. Head to Atlanta tonight, out to Toronto on Sunday in Toronto. That's not a good matchup as we've talked about in the past. Come home next week to play Cleveland, then head out to Boston, um, then play the Nets. We'll see. Uh, you know, it's at, most likely KD will still be out, but um, you know you got Kyrie and the guys. LA, LA comes to the garden um, at the end of January. Um, then you got the Heat, the Clippers, and the Sixers during a, a four-game home stretch. So um, no Mitch Robinson through all those games. A lot of teams over 500. As we talked about yesterday, up to this point in the season, Knicks have had the fourth easiest schedule. Over the rest of the season, Knicks have the second toughest schedule in the NBA. Play the Celtics three more times. They play the Nuggets. They play the Sixers two more times. Um, there's a lot of difficult matchups on the horizon. You don't have Mitch Robinson. You have a worn and weary, you know, starting, you know, because the Knicks basically have six starters. Their six guys um, have really, you know, been kind of pushed to the limit. Um, we'll see how this kind of plays itself out. But um, one good thing going for New York, most, you know, off, you know, for most teams, you'd say, uh, they got to go on the road. There's going to be the Knicks have been much better away from Madison yeah. Square Garden this season. So maybe getting down to to eight, getting down to the ATL, um, you know, two straight games on the road might be what the doctor what the doctor ordered. Obviously, um, you know, the, 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 those matchups with the Hawks added a little increased intensity as well. We know that there's some animosity between them and the Raptors, so should be a good test. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how the Knicks bounce back during this two game set this weekend. Yeah. For some reason, I feel like the Knicks are going to play really well in this game. I think that last game they played against the Wizards, I kind of think they were almost looking ahead to this road trip coming up, this kind of short road trip, because they have two teams that they know they have beef with, essentially. You know, it's always going to be on site with the Hawks. The Raptors and them clearly have some animosity, and they had just beaten the Wizards the week before. So I think that outside of fatigue, which I think also played a factor. I think uh, there was a lack of focus that went into the last Wizards game because they knew what was coming up. Now, Mr. Robinson is going to be out for this game, which is a huge loss. But I think that you, at least to the start, you may see the Knicks kind of show some fight and show some grit. And and I expect them to play fairly well in this one because of that. Uh, they know the Hawks are playing well. The Knicks, Hawks are now just a game and a half behind the Knicks, who now are in the seventh spot. They're uh, essentially tied with the Heat for the sixth spot with the Heat. As of right now, have the um, have the tiebreak, which I think would be conference record. I would assume at this point. So, so you know, the, the Knicks, I think, know what they have in front of them, which is going to be a, a tall task. But I think that they'll play well. I think in regards to how this hurts them in this game without Mitch. Look, we know Mitch's ability to to, to kind of play drop coverage and be a threat to Trey Young in that floater game in the pick and roll game has been instrumental to the Knicks having any chance of slowing him down. So 
not having him out there is a huge loss. We'll see if Hardenstein and Sims can be up to the challenge. I, I tend to think that if Trey's feeling good, he'll probably have a really big night tonight. But it's key for the Knicks is going to be to make sure these other guys don't get off. I mean, really, you know, in that first game they played this season with uh, the Fox Hawks fully healthy, Trey Young had a good game. But to me, it was DeJounte Murray who kind of took the game over. It was DeJounte Murray who uh, was a, a massive impact both uh, offensively and defensively. The Hawks, like a lot of teams, went to zone in that game. And DeJounte Murray was a pest, and he got uh, a lot of deflections and steals. The Hawks, I expect, will go to zone at some point in this game as well. The Knicks will have to handle that better. But they're going to have to handle Murray because despite what's been a disappointing Hawks season up until this four-game win streak, I think he's played well for really this entire season. Yeah, no question. He was a, and he was a stud. Uh, he, he really showed out in, in that first game of the Garden. Um, and also th- there are some matchup issues. DeAndre Hunter's an ex- excellent defender. Um, we know he gave Julius Randle infamously uh, gave him a lot of trouble in that series, that that, fir- that playoff series um, back in 2020, I guess it was now 24. Yeah. Um, and and he's, you know, uh, he's another guy that that you, that you got to worry about. John Collins finally looks like he's, you know, back on track um, and, and, and contributing like, you know, that 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 the Hawks hoped he would when they when they gave him 125 million dollar contract. It sounded like they were um potentially exploring trade opportunities and, and, and certainly still may. Um, but he, but he looks like he's playing his best ball the season of late. Um, they have the, the center combination of Okongwu who started at center uh, Wednesday against the Mavs and, and Capella coming off the bench. Um, AJ Griffin's a, a solid contributor. Um, and, you know, and just, it, it, it just kind of goes to show and, you know, some, some other, you know, um, as we talked about in the past, the only guy to play more than 34 minutes, 35 minutes was, was Murray who played 37, but 125 mm-hmm. uh, bogey played 32 Capella, 22 Okongwu 24 Griffin played 22. So they have a kind of an even minutes distribution. So it's not like if you survive their starting unit, you can take advantage of the bench unit. Um, they, they do a good job of yeah. kind of balancing their, their roster throughout the game. So, um, and that's an example of a team that played essentially an eight man, an eight man rotation. Cause Johnson only played six minutes in that game. And still, their minutes didn't get out of control. Like, because they gave John Griffin a lot of time. They gave, you know, Bogey's always going to play a lot of minutes. And Capella played his 23, 24 minutes off the bench. Like, you know, I would hope that someone could maybe, you know, print his box score, give the tips and say, hey, you know, just because you're playing nine men in a rotation doesn't mean that Brunson and Randall have to play 40, you know, that, and then, you know, or IQ has to play, you know, 35 or 36 off the bench. Like, you can find a way to, to balance this out and, you know, I, I, you know, that just looking at this box score is actually really fascinating. Cause I'm like, wow, they really played a lot of guys, you know, decent amount of minutes and they didn't kill anybody. Murray, they pushed a little bit, but 38 is not crazy. And they only played nine guys and the other guy, Johnson, uh, only played six minutes. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's funny. It's funny as our, we record this podcast, our producer, uh, James Jackson uh, puts in the chat, uh, men's police are back. <laughs> this was unintentional. We're just talking about the game. But I, I couldn't help but look at the way this box score broke down and been like, wow, there's another team that plays a nine-man rotation, and they seem to do it just fine. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, and also the the uh, usage distribution, the shot distribution. Um, you know, if you look at just this month alone, um, if you go to the players, let me break it down just by – uh in january 
because I'm waiting for this to pull up. They don't have a single player averaging more than 17 shots, a, you know, shots a game. Um, mm-hmm. Murray's, you know, right around that same mark as Trey Young. Again, Trey Young has kind of slid his, you know, his 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 scales back a little bit in in terms of trying to get up too many shots. Um, you know, that's another thing where you can kind of. You know, you don't have to rely on just two guys. Obviously, Trey Young's capable uh, of scoring 40 any given night, um, but they have done a good job of, of you know, kind of, it, especially during this 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 current winning streak of do, of kind of balancing the the, the offense a little bit. Um, you know, last eight games, Murray's averaging fewer than 16 shots. Hunter 12.8 shots. Bogey 12 shots. John Collins 11.4 shots. Capella 8.5 shots. Uh, Murray 17.4. So they've done a, a better job of finding a balance you get once you get guys involved offensively it keeps them you know more engaged defensively and that's you know usually a sign for success and it's led to um a, a far better you know rate of return on uh, in terms of win percentage for atlanta i think a i think a kind of an unsung x factor for this game will be quentin grimes i think the hawks will try to hide you know oftentimes they try to hide trey young on off guards or wings that they know aren't threats it isn't it is essential uh, uh, it is uh, important um i couldn't find the right word there it is definitely important for the knicks to make sure that they are not allowed to hide trey young to quentin grimes and don't get quentin grimes involved in the offense like quentin grimes to me he's going to be very important in this game and, and the knicks ability to get some shots with him get him involved in some offensive action make trey work defensively because you know they'll probably put murray on on brunson also, it will help Brunson a little bit. Like, Brunson won't necessarily have to have such a, a huge load offensively. I think Emmanuel quickly also be important as well because it will quickly come to the game and then maybe they try to hide Trey Young on too quickly. I think Nick won't have much of a problem getting quickly shots. Quickly seems to always be able to get his shots. But I think making sure that Grimes is involved in the offense is going to be important. He's still playing really well, even though his, shot, his shots have gone down with R.J. Barrett coming back. Like, you want to see him – get more shots, get more involved with the offense. I think that's going to be very important tonight. Nothing frustrated me more during that Hawk series than the Knicks' refusal to attack Trey Young defensively and make him work on that end, maybe draw fouls, at least wear him out a yeah. little bit. Um, and that's something Grimes definitely has the ability to do. Um, one of the most frustrating numbers of this entire season for, for me personally is Yusha's Grimes' use. Quentin Grimes usage rate 14%. Um, you know, that's that's less than Cam Reddish, that's less than Evan Fournier. Um, that number should be far, far higher. Um, it's that's you know, whether it's ending, whether it's Grimes shooting threes, I'm very happy to see it when the players close out. He's, if not the best interior passer when he puts the ball and gets into the paint. Um, you know, him and Brunson are right up there and, and Randall's done a better job of late, but he just is, is so good at, at finding with Mitch Rob out, you know, hopefully Hardenstein will be able to finish those. Mitch Rob obviously is great at, at finishing lobs and, and quick catches yep. around the rim has very good hands. Um, but yeah, just you're you're 100 right. It it just so happens that this game it, it has the added benefit of making Trey Young and or Dejounte Murray, whoever is checking Grimes at that end of the floor, uh, exert a little more energy, a little more effort. Um, and and Murray's an ex- excellent defender, one of the best perimeter guards in the league. Um, but yeah, at least make them work on that end. Um, and again, it has the dual purpose of lo- lightening the load on Randall and and Brunson and RJ, um, which which benefits the Knicks both in the short term, that particular game and big picture wise. 
Knicks and Hawks, 7.30 in the A. Before we uh, move on from this, I did want to bring this up briefly. Because I don't know if you saw. Did you see uh, Jay Murray? I guess he was on the All the Smoke podcast talking about his time in uh, San Antonio. I want you guys to hear this because I saw these comments and I was I was intrigued by them. It, it did interest me. He's talking about his time playing with the San Antonio Spurs. So here's John T. Murray talking about that. They bring in a point guard from Argentina mm-hmm. that's close with Manu playing in front of me. And my I'm, beside, I'm behind Tony, Patty, but they playing these mind games. They trying to see if they could break me. Not knowing you can't break They want me. you to break yourself. They want you to break yeah. yourself. You know what I'm saying? Man, bro, this is too much, bro. I'm like, what did they put me through, bro? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I start hearing your name. Steve Jack went through a lot of BS. Obviously, we know you. I know you cold. So you ain't got to tell me you cold. <laughs> Come on, bro. People don't realize, bro. I went through so much there. Like, I was there six years. You feel what I'm saying? Like, it don't the, seem like he was there that long either. It doesn't. I feel like, really, like, and they know I feel this way. I feel like they really, like, they drafted me, but they feel like the stuff that was going around the air of me coming from the hood and not out of die that I was going to make it in entourage 30 people smoking, drinking in articles about fighting, just ruining their reputation of what they stand for as a Spurs. You know, I think that's what they thought, but they never said that. You know what I mean? Just from the stuff I had to go through, like, and when they seen like he need a chance and this motherfucker be in the gym, like they start having to kick me out the gym. Like, when they said you got access 24 hours every day, knowing I wasn't playing, so I'm like, um, lace them up. Like, we to the gym. Gym, you know what I mean? That was just every day. And obviously, I started growing. First year go by, you know, thrown in the fire in the playoffs versus the Rockets. Then my second year, they see I come back. Obviously, getting stronger, getting better. And then that was the year I took the job from Tony. Pop about us in the office. You know what I mean? He told Tony, Tony ain't like it. I know he ain't like it. You know he ain't like it. You know what I'm saying? That's like for boy. me, I love real. Like keep it a buck with me. Yeah. Like keep it a hundred, bro. I'm a I'ma love you for that. You know what I mean? And I know he didn't like it. You feel me? Because if he liked it, he would have mentored me the way he should have. Right. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have went to Charlotte. He would have stayed right there. You feel what I'm saying? So a lot there from Murray talking about his time with the Spurs and it was weird because when he got traded, he they made it sound like oh it was you know it was uh, it was very cordial and both sides were very happy with the deal and happy that with their time together and there Murray talking about all his trials and tribulations going through playing for one of the best organizations in the NBA and man I don't know I like and here's what I'll say like as a guy who I've always I've often said I don't know if I said it on this podcast but I am king petty like I'm I'm all for being petty I'm all for also manufacturing things needed for motivation I just listened to that commentary from him and I'm just like okay like so you had to work for your spot as a late first round pick and you had to sit behind Tony Parker this was the, the the this was a terrible thing you went through playing for the San Antonio Spurs. I don't know what I was supposed to take from that. I mean, I I loved hearing that he you know he essentially outworked everybody, and you know there's no reason to doubt that he's a hard worker. We've seen how much he's improved his game, but even then talking about oh Tony should have just stayed here and, and mentored me. 
like, I don't know, dude. Like, I remember when Tony Parker won a championship for the San Antonio Spurs, and they were trying to get Jason Kidd. Like, they were trying to bring Jason Kidd and get Tony Parker out of there. Jason Kidd thought he was going to be a San Antonio Spur in free agency. And to hear, you know, Johnson Murray being like, oh, they brought some Argentinian guard, and I didn't know if I was going to get any playing time my, my rookie year. I'm like, bro, this is the league. This is a competitive game. This is an organization that's trying to win championships. No, maybe they didn't think a 19-year-old kid would come in and be ready to contribute. So, I don't know. I, I, I got a lot of the motivation that for that be, helped him become a great player in that. I just didn't understand the uh, the entitlement that I heard from Murray there. Yeah, I, I, I think when DeJounte Murray's 33, 34, 35, or whatever, and wherever he's at in his career, and they bring in a, sec, a late first-round pick to take his job, I'm sure. Like, you can't get to the NBA, and you can't have the success that Tony Parker had without being competitive and right. uber, you know, aggressive and, and wanting to keep your spot. Um, so I don't have a major issue with that. Um, when the player's in-house and he's part of your team, I guess it's a little different story. Um Steven Jackson would go on later in that clip to call Tony Parker the most selfish teammate he's ever played with, um, which was a, 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 a loud statement. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's Steven Jackson, so take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> you know, he's a character in and of himself, and, um, you know, I'm sure he wants to uh, generate some interest in his podcast and, and more power to him. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it sounded like there was some some definite animosity towards, towards Tony Parker there. But, yeah, you're right, finals MVP, et cetera. And it is a business, as you mentioned, they have a chance to improve or upgrade but i will say this as far as popovich goes and we gave him his flowers uh earlier uh in an earlier pod back when the knicks played the spurs one of the best coaches in nba history one of the best coaches in north american sports history um his record yeah. speaks for itself that being said since letting you know Kawhi leonard walk out the door and getting very little in return they've lost the murray maybe they hit you know with 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 one or scoot henderson or they bring somebody in this year um but there's there's the, the the recent history in san antonio is not encouraging if you're a spurs fan in terms of keeping and maintaining talent Kawhi leonard has a whole boatload of issues that that certainly you know they didn't want to be in the quiet business you know whether he didn't want to be there whatever the whatever the issue was um but that that didn't work out well so it's just it, you know it, it, we we gave the spurs a ton of credit for that dynastic run that they had um they've fallen upon some hard times and we'll see if they can dig their way out but they haven't had a great track record with the players they've drafted and they've done great at drafting these guys we'll see yeah. if they you know how they turn it around going forward yeah, and I've been one of the people that have been saying, essentially, I don't know what the Spurs are doing as an organization for years now. I think that they've been really spinning their spinning their wheels since the Kawhi Leonard trade happened. So not necessarily – they not have not necessarily been a model organization in the last three or four years. Right. Um, you know, again, Murray being upset that, you know, he's playing behind, you know, Hall of Famers. I, I, I don't really quite understand that. But uh, credit to him for still finding a way to uh, work on his game and become an all-star. And, uh, and more pop to it for that. But uh, we're at the end of the show. And like I said, when we started this podcast, we mix in some different uh, segments throughout the year. And I wanted to bring a, a new one to the table on this episode. We're going to do this week in New York Knicks history. So let's begin in 1970. Willis Reed on this day, January 20th. Uh, won the All-Star Game MVP after scoring 21 points to help the Eastern Conference beat the West. It was the second-to-last All-Star Game Willis Reed ever played in. He would later win MVP for the regular season and help Knicks win their first-ever NBA title 
in that year. So a big year for Willis Reed. Also this week, January 18th, 1999, the Knicks agreed to trade John Starks, Chris Mills, and Terry Cummings to the Golden State Warriors for Latrell Sprewell. Sprewell had missed uh, 1998 season after choking out uh, P.J. Carlissimo in practice. Spree would go on to help the Knicks make their uh, last NBA Finals appearance after winning the Eastern Conference as an eighth seed in a lockout shortened season, the first team to ever win uh, a conference as an eighth seed. And finally, on on uh, January 17th, 1994, this week in Knicks history, Patrick Ewing became the first Nick to score 15,000 career points. He set the mark while scoring 34 points in an MLK Day win over the Minnesota Timberwolves. He was just the 68th player in league history to reach that milestone. He had also moved into first place on the franchise's all-time free throw list in that game. So a lot has happened in this week in Nick's history. Let's start with uh, that all-star game real quickly, Tommy. Could you name the other starters who played next to Willis Reed in the 1970 NBA All-Star game? Uh, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go with that there were – that Willis Reed was one of the starters – Yes. Um, and Dave DeBusher, maybe one of the other starters as well. Were there two other Knicks part of the starting lineup on that team? So there was another Nick in the starting lineup for the East, but it was not Dave DeBusher who did make the All-Star game. Clyde right. made this All-Star game as a starter in that game. Uh, he also played alongside Billy Cunningham for Philly, John Havlicek, and Oscar Robinson, who was playing for Cincinnati at that time. Uh, they were the Eastern Conference starters. Oscar Robinson also had 21 points in that game. And for the West, uh, you had uh, Connie Hawkins, the Hawk, you know, New York City legend, Lou Hudson, uh, Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, and Elvin Hayes uh, playing for, at that time, the San Diego Rockets. So I love hearing kind of the teams that were, that were involved. You got the Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati Royals for Oscar Robinson. You got the San Diego Rockets for Elvin Hayes. So, um, so interesting players, interesting uh, game nonetheless. And to me, that that season kind of, you know, encapsulated like, uh, you know, really the 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 golden age of Knicks basketball. You know, 1970, the Knicks go win a championship. Willis Reed, MVP, comes out of the tunnel uh, in, in game seven against the Lakers. So uh, just an all around a spectacular year that year. That game, by the way, Tommy, played at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Uh, it, it, so that was a, a Philadelphia All-Star game. And then when we talk about the the, the Spreewell trade, it was funny when I started thinking about it, like there, it, it was controversial, not just necessarily because of Spreewell and his character, but also, you know, the, the fact that they were giving up a New York Knicks fan favorite, John Starks. Like, so I know at that time you were a younger fella. I was, uh, I was, you know, what was I, eight years old, nine years old at that time. John Starks was my favorite Nick at that point in time. Were you uh, for or against the Sprewell trade when it happened? Uh, yeah, one other quick thing on on Reed. Won the yeah. MVP the regular season, won the yep. All-Star MVP, and the Finals MVP that year. One of very few players in NBA history to do it. Um, as far as Spree goes, yeah, I mean, I love Starks, and, and and that was my guy. But, you know, it was clear that he was at the end of the uh, – he was on the back nine. Um, yeah. Starks, who loves golf. Yeah, he was he was cl- closer to 18 than, than 10, actually. So, um, you know, it just <laughs> yeah. made sense to, to, to infuse some youth. And, you know, you, you obviously had Allen Houston in the mix as well. So um, I was uh, um, 
uh, I was for the trade at the time. I definitely thought it made sense. It was a buy low opportunity and it's, you know, you strike when you have that opportunity. I'm sure a lot of other franchises were, were scared and, 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 you know, for whatever reasons, didn't want to take on the headache that that spree will potentially uh, would have brought to the franchise, but it certainly worked out for the Knicks, obviously. Yeah, it did. And, you know, Starks in that first year in Golden State, he also played a little bit in Chicago. He he played okay. You know, he had he averaged almost 15 points that season. Not necessarily the greatest efficiency, which has never been John Starks' thing uh, anyway. But, um, but yeah, no, the spree trade was uh, really a game changer for the Knicks. And, you know, really, if you think about Knicks basketball, really was probably the last time you had, like, truly um, high-level play, you know, championship contending kind of play. When they brought in Spree, you had the combination of Houston and Spreewell for 99 and 2000, both trips to the Eastern Conference Finals, one trip to the NBA Finals. Um, great run. Spree, I think, in some ways, I think is an underrated Nick because maybe he kind of came at a time that was towards the you know end of his prime, so to speak. But, I mean, those first two years in New York, especially with Knicks going those deep runs, I mean, he was as essential to that as any player on the Knicks. Um, and just kind of talk about a guy also kind of embracing like what New York City and New York basketball is all about. I thought Spree was a, a perfect encapsulation of that. And uh, and again, another guy who I lost a, a, a all time favorite Nick in, in John Starks. I gained one with Spreewell. So uh, an awesome trade for the Knicks at that point in time. And it's been good to see that, you know, we talked in the last episode about, you know, whether or not James Gro- James Dolan would hold grudges against uh, someone like Chris Asporzingis. It has been great to see that Spree has been welcomed back to the Garden, and you see him at the games, and whatever issues that him and Dolan had, that seems to be put aside as well. Yeah, um, people forget Spree was first-team All-NBA with the, with the Warriors. Like, he was yeah. – there, there are not many players in league history that were first team all shooting guards. Um, you go back, you know, Jordan, obviously for, for a decade. Um, there, there are just not many guys that have that, that were first team all NBA guards for consecutive seasons. And, and Spree is definitely in that short list. Yeah. Yeah. 1994. That was the first year Jordan had, 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 had retired. Um, he had a phenomenal season with the Warriors. And like I said, he was a perennial all-star borderline superstar earlier in his career. So, yeah, Spree, uh, just an absolute dog and, and one of my all-time favorite Knicks. And then finally, uh, Patrick Ewing and that those that, that uh, 15 career uh, points mark. I was actually surprised that he was the first Nick to ever do that. I assume that maybe Clyde got there at some point. Uh, do you feel like Pat gets a little underrated when it comes to ranking all-time centers? I do. I'm a I'm a big Patrick guy. I mean, I, I came of age. He was my favorite athlete when I was a kid. Um, him and Barry Sanders. Um, and, and and I was, I would fiercely defend Patrick, um, you know, when my friends were Bulls fans and, 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 and you know, d- during the, the, the Bulls runs and the, you know, the loss of the Rockets broke my heart. Like there is a special connection with Ewing. And I, and I, and I, I almost feel myself as, as a defender of his legacy in certain ways, because I feel <laughs> like um, he's not given the proper respect. And uh, for me, he's the greatest Nick of all time. Um, we'll talk, we can have a whole conversation about that on, on yeah. another date and time, but, um, yeah, I mean, listen, he, he and, and people forget how the, the centers he played against, Akeem and Alonzo Mourning and Shaq and, and David Robinson. I mean, these this was kind of the golden age of, 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 of prime, you know, really, you know, T-Rex, you know, centers. Um, and Ewing more than held his own on a nightly basis. Um, I don't think he ever got the appreciation he deserved from New York City. I think slowly but surely, 
people have realized, you know, because of, you know, you look at the, the success they had when Patrick was here and the lack of success they've had since Patrick left speaks yep. for itself. Um, so I, I think slowly but surely starting to, you know, um, get a little bit more of that respect that he wasn't given during during his time, uh, it, during his playing days in New York. Um, but yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, he did. I'm I'm not going to put him over Akeem and and some you know some of the other great players that, and Shaq that he played against. Um, but but certainly he deserves to be considered one of the obviously one of the 50 greatest players of all time, one of the greatest Knicks of all time. So um, he has that going for him at least. Yeah, I like severely wish Ewing could have had the David Robinson track of a career where maybe he has that great prime, doesn't win a title, but Tim Duncan comes around and he's able to get one. Or get two actually later in his career. Even if he just got one, that would have been great. Because I think it would have changed kind of how we view Ewing. Because I think Dave Robinson is viewed more positively because he has two championships. Even though the you know second one he was an All Star, but the second banana and the third one, in the second the second one he was like essentially a role player. He was not like a star on that that that, that Spurs team. Ewing never got that chance, and that I think sometimes kind of hurts kind of how we view him overall. A hundred percent. And and when you factor in, you know, you talked about those great Knicks teams in the seventies, all NBA team, DeBusher, Reed and Willis all made all NBA. Patrick didn't even play with all stars, let alone right. he never played with an all NBA player. The only year he played with an all star during his prime was 94. The 93 94 season when Starks and Oakley made it. Um, but yeah. those guys were by no means superstars. They, you know. Um, those were, were borderline, you know, all-stars, you know, reserves. Um, and, and again, that's the only season during the 90s that he played with a, another guy that made an all-star team, you know, during his, his prime from 88 to 98. So, um, it, it, again, it says a lot about the, the, the Ewing's greatness that he carried the Knicks literally on his back. Um, and the fact that he's remembered more for a missed finger roll than yeah. having 24 points, 21 rebounds, seven blocks in game seven of the 1994 Eastern Conference Finals against the Pacers, um, five assists in that game as well. He's just as, as you know, you know, Reggie Miller is a great clutch player. He outplayed Reggie's Pacers in those games time and time again. Um, again, putting the Knicks on his back, playing injured, playing with, a, you know, torn Achilles, knee injuries, wrist injuries, rushing back in order to make it back for the playoffs never demanded a trade to you know during the, his prime to another team um for me personally you can't say enough about patrick um one of the truly great players of that, that of his generation can't say it better myself i think that's a great place to leave it on this episode of orange and blue bloods a new york Knicks podcast that you can get wherever you get your podcast including the free odyssey app make sure you hit the auto download feature on your streaming service so you can get these episodes that we drop three times a week Tommy, let people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. And you can find me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Make sure you guys have a wonderful weekend. Thank you guys for listening to us. We'll be back next week with more Orange and Blue Bloods. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace. <laughs>